Chicago, Chicago, I'll show you around. Speak of Chicago. The corner was our magic, our music, our politics. Fires raised as tribal dancers and war cries broke out of different quarters. Power to the people. Maybe we could start again. Greetings, friends, family, and passersby. We're back with the Chicago Sunnyside podcast, but today we're not in Chicago. Uh, I'm one of your hosts, once again, Casavez Makuma. And I'm Nahez Menil. It's been a while. I've been traveling since we got started on this Sunnyside train, but I'm back. Um, Casavez came to me here in Bobo Julasso, Burkina Faso. Uh, where both of us currently uh, have residence, uh, although we're back and forth, so we'll be seeing you back again in Chicago soon. Yes, yes. I'll actually be on my way there in a few days, but we wanted to make sure to start our episodes from the motherland, from the heart of culture, human culture, from the source of uh, human what would you say? Civilization. Civilization, thank you. Yes, sir. Yes, uh, you know, we're both here to deepen our cultural roots, and uh, right now we are in the Chicago Sunnyside Studios, Africa, or should we say what? Bobo Jolasso? We shouldn't say Africa. We should maybe say Sia. Sia. Uh Many people don't uh, realize that most of the localities we have around the world you know they have their original names and then they have names that were imposed upon them by those in power and Africa is one of those names Africa is really a, a name that's when you check the history it's derogatory so sometimes you you won't really hear us refer to it that often as Africa maybe just you know so that the common viewer can relate and the same goes for the city of Bobo Julasso. Bobo Julasso was a name imposed upon it, but the original name was Sia. Yes, and um, probably we should explain that Bobo Julasso, aka Sia, is um, one of the major cities in the country of Burkina Faso in West Africa. Uh, if you haven't heard of it, look it up, and uh, you know you see we have a very rich history here that we are um, you know happy to receive. And in the same line, some of our older viewers may have heard of the country of Upper Volta, but in 1980s, the name was changed from Upper Volta after the people led a revolution and took their country back and then named it uh, according to their own languages. Burkina Faso meaning the land of upright people. So that's where we're broadcasting from you today. This is a special episode that we have today because It's starting the series that we'll be bringing to you in this year of 423 in the Kemetic calendar, representing the 25-year anniversary of Kepta's mission in the West. And today's episode will be our first of a series. And since it's our first, we're going to start at the beginning. Uh, We're going to start at the beginning of Kepta's identity as an organization. And that identity really started here in the country of Burkina Faso, where we sit in now. Uh, so we're excited to, to bring you this episode and give you a little peek into uh, what led to the profound mission of Kepta or the Earth Center 
that today we have access to in Chicago? Uh, yes, uh, Brother Nehez was uh, fortunate enough to catch up with one of the, uh, I don't know what you would call it, founding members or original members of that organization here in Burkina Faso. And um, we have a great interview lined up to show to you, but before that we're going to get into a couple of uh, you know, brief topics. Um, so, what do you think about the Israel-Palestine situation? The Israel-Palestine situation, I mean, anytime you see such a severe uh, situation of loss of life, loss of human life, as a human being, you can't help but to, you know, you have to think of it one way. It's a sad, it's disheartening, it's, it's a terrible situation. If you imagine the families there that are losing their loved ones, the children that are losing their parents, the parents that are losing their children, you know, it's terrible. But it's a piece of our human history or human happenings that really goes back a long ways. And what I notice now, as usual, is that the media, the common perspective on it, really what's the word polarizes polarizes but it also doesn't take into account that a large part of the history that led into that a uh -huh. large a large number of the sequences that led up to that event and that makes it easier to polarize because if you don't if you don't look at well this person smacked this person first then you will say this person for smacking them back is so terrible so you know and then we just run in circles because then our memory allows us to forget what has happened and then the other one who's now trying to retaliate doesn't have any uh, reason to or isn't justified and then we demonize them and then there's another retaliation to go back on them and we just continue to lose life. Yeah, I mean it's a situation that has a very, very long history and you don't really get to hear about the history. Some people like to uh, just pick bits and pieces of what they want to talk about that is whatever they want to use to support their argument and then the other side, you know, the other side that you can look at, they pretty much ignore, they refuse to address, it, which is pretty much what we see going on all the time with the political situation. You have this polarization and one side is always kind of capitalizing on differences, you know, between different perspectives to push an agenda. Yes. But what's uh, even more uh, problematic in this situation is that even when we want to look at the history, we only look at the history of the religious uh, ideologies that are involved. And the history never goes beyond that, those religious ideologies. Because now the situation in, in Israel, Palestine, is one of uh, religious ideological fight and then it's so easy to polarize people according to that because it's like which religion do you stand for right and then maybe there will be some people that are a little more enlightened that are a little more focused on well I just want to be a good person no matter my religion and then they will look at well who has who's more justified and who's more right but if you don't consider what the history in that place was before those religions took over the minds of those people, 
and then pitted them against each other and took land away from one and then took land away from the other, then that will be, you know, then you're not really getting a good perspective on the situation. And even now, you know, aside from the religious aspect, you have a very politicized aspect as well, where the the country of Israel is being used by, you know, United States and other Western nations to push its agendas in the Middle East. And, um, you know, I think a lot of people now are seeing the realities of that situation where there's a lot of um, kind of distrust on the side of, you know, why America always is supporting Israel. Why every time there's a situation with Israel, the president always has to come out and say, "Hey, we need to get behind Israel." And this is the first time I've even seen like the president and the you know major politicians uh, kind of take a step back from that and say, you know, at least pay some lip service to the other side, even if obviously their actions are still like totally behind Israel. Yes. They're at least paying lip service. And <laughs> did you see President uh, Biden said, "Oh, we're having a new uh, anti." What is it? Um, uh, Anti-Islamophobia campaign? Mm -hmm. Yes, uh, I mean, I saw it, but we also have to take into consideration that President Biden, when he looks ahead in what's important to him, he's coming up on another uh, uh, election season. Election season, uh -huh. And he knows that he's against perhaps Trump. And so those, those that he can depend on for the vote are gonna be those that you know, are in Islam that Trump has already alienated long, long time ago. Mm -hmm. So he better, you know, double back and at least pay some lip service to try to gather those people because, you know, with his vice president, he knows he might have the black vote, at least some of it, because Trump targets them as well. He might have, you know, the Islamic vote, so he can't go too far. But what you're saying is true. It's become so political, but it's hard to differentiate religion and politics. And then we have to wonder why Israel, this you know, father of one of the modern religions, seems to be so politically powerful. Mm. If if there's you know a difference between religion and power, yeah. I mean religion and politics. Yeah, I mean it is. You know, I tried recently. You know, with all the stuff with Kanye and stuff like that. You know, yeah, I, I, <laughs> Yeezy. I tried to shout I out tried to, to Yeezy. Shout out to let's, let's, let's shout out to Lee. one of Chicago's finest that really tries hard to speak his truth, regardless of the the repercussions. Repercussions. You, you have to uh, shout out that. Guy yeah, you gotta appreciate someone like that. I mean, you know, I don't know him personally, but I think uh, you know the stances that he takes and his willingness to take uh, unpopular stances is is something to respect, regardless of uh, if you agree with them or not. Um, but in any case, after after that, um, you know, I heard some Jewish people talking about, well, you don't understand like how Jewish people are kind of like feel like they're such a small group of people and it's just so easy for them to be targeted. And, um, and considering what's happened in the past, you know, and then also, what, there was other stuff going on with the Anti-Defamation League uh, coming coming out that they're kind of, like, trying to get, like, take Twitter sponsorship away. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, or not sponsorship, but, like, advertisers kind of pressure big companies into not advertising on Twitter and things of that nature. So uh, Elon Musk has a lawsuit against them, too. So it's, 
it's just interesting, like, you know, to have that kind of, like, uh, I don't know, is that what you call the Napoleon complex or what, where you feel like you're so small that you got to act bigger than you are, and then, like, by acting, try to act too big, it's almost like you make people hate you even worse when hatred is what you're kind of scared of. It's an interesting uh, kind of... Well, yeah, we can call it a Napoleon complex, but, you know, I, I don't want to... trivialize or make smaller the, the big issue that's there because this we find ourselves as humanity in this situation the loss of life the polarization mm -hmm. again and again because of the issue of human ambition and human ambition you know where you find it tends to lead to that kind of aggressiveness that kind of you know well I can't be uh, I can't be cut out of what's what should be mine or what I think is mine and you see that portion of of the globe has been the site of that fight where you can't cut me out from what's mine you can't cut me out from uh -huh. what's mine and I have I have a, a right to you know power um, and when we really start to talk about that and the origins of it and even what led to these religions being so big in the world, you know, that really opens up opens up the perspective on, on this situation. Mm -hmm. This is a big situation because it's been going on for a long time. A couple thousand years maybe. Yeah, even before even before, you know, uh, Israel was created, it, it was still happening. The fight there between um, those that that associate themselves with what's now called uh, Christianity or, or Judaism and those who associate themselves with Islam and um, uh, the Arabic empires, mm -hmm. it it was it was still a, a, a fight between them and it's because of that history that you know we not really led into. Um, yeah, I mean, one might wonder why if both uh, Muslims and Jews consider Israel to be their holy land. Uh, Jerusalem to be a holy, uh, a sacred city and all of this, why they can't just share the space. I mean, logically it makes sense that, okay, you both want to be here, just be there together, you know, what, but what? somehow they have to be separated by walls and iron domes and all of this. What city, what locality in the world today only has one people, like a major city, major locality, mm -hmm. only has one group of people. Like we, we have to live among each other. We have to learn how to get along. There's some, there's some deep ideology, ideological barriers that are getting in the way of that, that are even kind of have their spiritual source that, you know, is keeping those people at odds, keeping, you know, them almost cursed because we can maybe think one is benefiting at a certain time over the other, but they all are always losing lives to that, that conflict. Mm -hmm. And today, you know, the people around the world and those people specifically are, uh, it's, it's unfortunate that we have to w watch more lives being lost, more lives being poured to that, that conflict, but that's where we are. And uh, that's where uh, we at the Earth Center are fortunate to uh, have a different perspective and a different source of information. Uh, what we're going to share with you now is a clip from uh, our founder, the Earth Center's founder, uh, Master Nabilo Musumotor Dinibig, who you can see this depicted in my brother's shirt here. Uh, he had a different take on the situation that we, we, 
we're not going to speak for him. We're just going to put the clip on and uh, let you see for yourself what he has to say about the history of why these two groups of people uh, have not been able to get along for such a long time. And let's be clear, it's not that he had a different take as one person with an opinion, mm -hmm. but because he had access to the uh, to historical archives that go much further back than what the modern world tends to tends to tell us. I mean, even our modern world, our modern science for a while was telling us that the world started 6,000 years ago because they had to piggyback on the religious ideologies. Mm -hmm. The temples that he comes from, the, the, the initiatic education that he comes from never had those kind of claims. They always considered, okay, how long have our ancestors been documenting history, been passing down oral history? to give us an understanding of what was here before us. And now equipped with, with that deeper history, his perspective is much different than what we find, what we find in, in today's media, what we find in today's conversations. And I think it's very important for people in Chicago, especially people who consider themselves descendants of our motherland, descendants of Africa, descendants of Merita, um, because so often, when we have a very um, uh, small view of our, our history, then we end up fighting the wrong battles and joining the wrong teams. Mm -hmm. And those teams and those battles that we fight in and those perspectives we take in, they don't even honor our own heritage, our own ancestry. So you're fortunate enough to get the perspective coming from those temples because of the sacrifice and the work of Nebnabala Musa Muradinabik. So take a look and, you know. Yeah, and, and please, you know, don't undervalue the, you know, the accuracy, the historic, historical accuracy of uh, what belongs to us and our heritage. Uh, but yeah, without further ado, uh, here's Master Naba on the, the conflict in the Middle East. Yeah. Well, you have to understand that uh, uh, that war between Jewish and Christ, uh, whatever, Christians and Muslims, that's, you know, it's, it's part of the curse that our ancestors have set. Because you know that uh, civilizationally speaking, Jewish and Arabs are descendants of black people. Uh, okay. Literally, at one point of the history, they were uh, rebelling because because most of them, uh, how you call it? We have uh, uh, that notion of uh, you know a kingship that is. Uh, what we call even in the in the in the, even in the villages, we have what we call legitimate children and illegitimate children. The illegitimate children cannot be king. They just cannot be king. They can enjoy the status of prince. They can enjoy, you know, just like my name, I'm Naba. Naba people, we don't become king. Our family name can be seen as a title for a king, but we don't become king, you see. 
we have that kind of issue. So at one point they decided they, they would like to be part of the change system. We say traditionally that's not possible. Then they decided to have their own rebellion. When they started, they were all together. When they started, they were all together. They had their own rebellion. They used that famous exodus, you know, bad mouth and their fathers and, you know, all this. And then, well, they say they can make it on their own. But none of them can make it unless we give our blessing to them. We know it. You see? We know it unless we give, uh, you know, whatever is happening to the people of color, the black people, before that is fixed and we reconstitute ourselves and give our blessing to them, this world, take a note about it. Nothing will change. It will be like this. Yeah, so always great to get a, 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 a fresh and different perspective um, coming from our traditions on uh, certain things. Um, sometimes when we get those explanations, it can seem far-fetched from our Western perspective, but um, which other explanation is really making sense right now? And <clears throat> we have to really wonder, especially those of us in America, we know what oppression feels like. We know what it feels like to have the information being presented to you controlled uh, and limited. And we have to wonder if, you know, we rarely ever get the perspective of indigenous Africa. Mm. The, if it's a country that's controlled by Christians, they know, they, we know that they limit the perspective coming in by, from Islam. If it's a country being controlled by communists, we know that they limit the perspective coming from capitalists. But all of them have already limited a long time ago the indigenous perspective. The indigenous perspective coming from their own locality and especially the indigenous perspective that mothered or fathered all of the indigenous perspectives around the world coming from our motherland. So when you have the opportunity to get that perspective, don't pass it up and don't minimize how important adding that perspective to you know, your, uh, your, your reflections can be. Yes, um, on that note, we're going to uh, move towards uh, talking about our uh, next guest or uh, hearing from our next guest, um, Tonton Olivier Kouami. Um, Olivier Kouami. Um, you do better than Tonton Olivier Kouami, really Olivier Kouami. Um, was, as Casabes said in the beginning of the episode, one of the original members of the Kepra Foundation. And the Kepra Foundation was Master Nava's first organization here in Burkina Faso. It was an organization of traditionalists, priests, healers, uh, traditional researchers, and African professionals. And they were coming together really brought together by Master Nava to um, make sure that Africa was taken, being proactive and taking responsibility for itself, following the 
colonial age following the age of independence, um, the age of um, uh, enslavement before that, after so many ambitions, you know, led to Africa being, Africa being reframed and represented by outsiders, by those really looking to, to um, uh, what's the word? Rape Africa. Let's just yeah. make it as blunt as possible because it was a long history and we all know that that history of, of the exploitation of Africa's people, Africa's resources, Africa's heritage. Um, so I don't want to say too much because in the in the interview you will see that 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 Olivier explains some, but Kepra Foundation was that Africans now taking responsibility for telling Africa's story and for furthering African culture, um, furthering the culture of their fathers, investing their energies into that instead of continuing to see every African that's been educated then shipped off to Europe to live their life there and invest their energies there, shipped off to to, to US and invest their energies there, et cetera, et cetera. Just like uh, what we were just saying, uh, that the traditional or indigenous African perspective ends up getting marginalized. It even can happen here. It even happens here where uh, people more, more so value uh, what's coming from a European perspective, what's coming from a, a Judeo-Christian perspective before looking at their traditional uh, <clears throat> spirituality, before looking at their traditional values, their ways of life, their traditional governmental structure, instead of, you know, uh, going for democracies, people, you know, also have indigenous uh, forms of government here that they can be supporting. So, um, uh, I think, uh, that's a, it's a major step to really step back and say, okay, all you people who've been trying to tell us what we should be and trying to convince us uh, that we're not good enough for the world, that we don't have anything of value to present, that we have something of value to present. And right now, the, the way the world is going, we can clearly see that uh, these modern uh, institutions, whether it be political, religious, educational, whatever, whatever, they don't have the answers for the problems that they themselves are causing. Uh, so, uh, we just have to thank again Master Nava for um, giving us access to a, a whole bottomless well of knowledge and, um, and uh, yeah, it's interesting because, you know, there's become, from that whole situation, there's become this polarization even between the African-born African and the African-born outside of Africa. Especially the African born in the US and coming out of the situation of enslavement. Um, and because of that polarization, having been in the work of KEPTA, the, the mission of the Earth Center that was brought 25 years ago, we've heard a lot of uh, complaints, problems um, coming from African Americans, African born Americans, about you know, Master Naba's work. And there's there's always that kind of question or complaint, well, if it's so important, why didn't he, why doesn't he do it there in Africa, you know, where they need it? Uh, how can we trust it if he just came over here to sell it to us instead of, you know, doing it with his own people back back home? 
And that's the thing that people miss is that one, he did it. He started it back home first. He started Kepra Foundation first because whatever oppression, whatever uh, exploitation we see in, in the West, we tend to forget that this was the source. It happened here first. It had to happen here first even to get us over there. So he was trying to tackle it here. But he noticed what Casabez is saying is that everybody here just wants to go there. Everybody here is putting their sights on how to be successful, on how to be developed by looking at people over there, by looking at the media over there. So after working here, that's when he said, okay, even to benefit the people here, I know I need to, to bring this to those people that got disconnected. He knew that already. But he said, even to benefit those people as well as my people here, the people here in the, in the big cities that are being led away from their own heritage, their own identity, uh, it's better I go where they're looking. And then I start really building it there so that they see it when they're at the place that they're looking to, to leave home for. Because if they end up finding home in the bush that they left home for, then they will get to see just how valuable home was. Just how valuable the, the values and the culture that they had at home was that, that they you know, were looking past. And so that's really what he did. He always told a story of uh, a symposium led by the Thomas Sankara administration. For those of you who don't aren't familiar with Thomas Sankara, please go look him up. He was a revolutionary president, the one that led the revolution that uh, changed the name from Upper Volta to Burkina Faso. And at that symposium, there were a bunch of speakers brought over from the United States, black Americans. And Masanaba, who was young at that time, I think maybe just before age 20, or right around age 20, he sat and he listened and all of these speakers, these intellectuals, were talking about how difficult the situation was for blacks in America. The education system, the prison system, drugs, you know, all of that, all of the things coming out of the um, uh, civil rights movement, uh, and then, you know, all that, that followed. And he sat and listened to all of them tell, you know, such a miserable, the miserable conditions of people in the West, of color. And afterwards, uh, they asked for questions. There was a time for questions and answers, and a young Master Nava stood up and was like, okay, I listened to everything that you guys said and I hear it, that's really serious and we all one family. We all come from the same navel, from the same uh, umbilical, cord. umbilical cord. So what's the plan? How do we change it? How do we improve the situation for people of color over there? And when he said that, that was the most um, impactful part of the symposium because he said nobody had an answer and everybody just came to talk about how bad the situation was but that didn't lead any of them to building a plan mm -hmm. and at that time he said he realized that whatever he was building on this side whatever his family had preserved he knew he had to take it to the u.s one of the first places he had to take it to was the u.s because he knew that the heritage, the ancestral identity of those people 
is what could help them. But nobody in the West was making that plan to go and get that or making that plan to really remedy the situation at a fundamental level. And now, you know, with us coming back and even bringing our families here, raising our children here, uh, raising our children, putting our children in the schools here and all of this, uh, at least hopefully uh, some of those young people who are here like kind of desperately seeking a way to get to the United States or Europe and things like that, uh, take have some time to reflect and say, uh, okay, I'm trying to get over there, but these people are trying to get over here. And the more we can do that, uh, you know, then that will cause people to, you know, question, mm -hmm. question themselves, question their motivation, question their ambitions to, to run from what belongs to them to try to get what belongs to somebody else. Right. But we will get into that more and more as we go through this series. Um, for this first episode, though, I don't want to take us too far away from uh, the guest that we brought on, that we interviewed, which it was a very important interview. It was one of those original members coming back into the fold and giving their perspective not only on what Masanaba was starting at that time and how they were involved, but also on how they see the progress, the evolution of the Earth Center to today, how they see the mission evolve today. Um, but we not only are dedicating this first episode to Kepra, uh, the mission's beginnings here in Burkina Faso, but this episode is also gonna be dedicated to Olivier Kwame himself, because just less than a month after the interview that you will watch, Olive, Tonton Olivier returned home to the land of the dead. Uh, um, he passed away on, I'll have to get the, the exact date, but he passed away in October, late October. So this is a very special interview because it's uh, probably the last interview that I know of that he did, the last um, talk that he really gave for the public to see. Uh, before he journeyed home to be with the ancestors. Let him, um, we will let him say what he has to say uh, and give really that piece of history, that piece of kept our history from his perspective. Um, and then we will come back after the interview. So, Jai, everyone, we Jai. are very excited to be here. Another episode of the Sunnyside podcast. It's the Chicago Sunnyside podcast, but this one is going to be the international Sunnyside podcast because we just started year 423 on the comedic calendar. And this year marks the 25th year anniversary that the Earth Center has been active in its revolutionary work in the West. Uh, the first temple that was established in Chicago by Master Nabalu Musumoro Dinabig was established in the colonial year of 1998. And so this year marks 25 years of his great work in the West. And I'm very pleased today because we have as our esteemed guest, one of the members of the original organization that the Makru or Master Naba started still on the continent of Africa before he brought the mission outside of the continent. And that is Elder sitting next to him. I will call him Tonton out of respect throughout the interview, but Tonton, can you introduce yourself to the viewers? Okay. Ujai and Happy New Year to everybody. 
I'm very happy to be with you and to participate in this uh, podcast. Mm-hmm. Very honored for, to be there, to be still alive and seeing the Makaro is a member of my family, but by our mother's side. Uh, we have the same grandmother called Adamamola. His mother is my auntie, the oldest, and my mother is uh, the one who came after the twins okay. in this family, Gado. That's why they call her Gado. She passed away just uh, 14 months ago now, actually. So with the Makero, we grow together with the same, the same house with our grandmother because every, every holidays, school holidays, I used to come to, come to, to, to spend my time in Sokode, okay. where we, t- we retrieve together every year. If not, it is him who came in Lome sometime and retrieved there. So our relation was very, very close because we were the boys with uh, the same age, <laughs> growing together, experimenting things together. But after when we was at the college level, uh, we were separated from about 10 or 11 years. Okay. We didn't meet again. And when we met, Again, it was exactly in 1988. He was coming from Germany at that time. Mm-hmm. Me to have finished my uh, university study in French. Mm-hmm. And I came back in Togo, <laughs> wanted to work from Togo. And he too came back from his experiences from Europe, Germany, etc. And when I met my cousin, found him with the, the, the locks. <laughs> and I have also experimented the dreadlocks but with the Rastafari. Yes, at that time when I was at the university, see the time of Bob Marley and the Rastafarism. So I was also interested and by this movement. Yeah, I know, in France. When okay. I was, yes, I was in France. And so when I came back, I come, I, I perform me, it is a Rastaman. Mm-hmm. And when I called me Rastaman, I said, hey, my cousin, no, my dress <laughs> are not Rastaman. <laughs> started by that. So that's what we used to say yes. because everybody called him Rasta, Rasta, exactly. but he started to say, he starts to say, every dread's not a Rasta. Exactly, exactly. It started from me. <laughs> so, no, I'm not a Rasta. So he starts talking about the Kemet, his uh, research about Egyptian mythology, mm-hmm. and from Mapai too, I was aware from about the Shankata job works yeah. on the civilization, African civilization, something like that. Yeah. And this was the thing which uh, reapproached us mm-hmm. very closely. And I was one with uh, in the family, mm-hmm. this closer family, we understand his vision very quickly and accompany him. And so he is the one who brought me the first time in Burkina Faso too. I discovered uh, Burkina Faso because of him. When I was studying in, in French, it is at that time Thomas Sankara was reigning in Burkina Faso. So I did not live in the country at that time, but I hear from distance. And when he came now when we met, he gave me more explanation about this. And so at that time, when he brought you to Burkina, that was the late 80s, and that was right around the time Sankara was assassinated, right? Yes. Did you get there before yes. the assassination or after? No, exactly, Bob. Sankara was assassinated in 1987, uh-huh. and it is 1988 that, that I, I, I arrived there. I so 
there was uh, the movement was still there mm -hmm. just uh, the president has changed mm -hmm. he's talking about rectifications but well, the movement was there mm -hmm. and i recall that it is after a visit of sankara in america mm -hmm. in 1984 mm -hmm. in new york yes. he visited the harlem mm -hmm. city mm -hmm. and he was shocked by the life of the black people there mm -hmm. and when he came back he has talked he was interviewed at the airport mm -hmm. and he had talked about the creation of a kind of academia mm -hmm. for black people mm -hmm. and they call it institute de peuple noir institute of black people that's the idea was launched at that time and i have adhered to it and the macro has adhered to the yes. same movement yes i remember him talking yes about that, but we also growing up in america those speeches he gave in harlem are some speeches that are published exactly exactly <laughs> at that time i recall I remember that he was he has uh, macro has met the Debois family members, somebody, okay, and uh, yeah, the Debois family members, they came here, we met together. Okay. And in 19, finally, the, this Institute of Black People was created after the death of uh, Sankara. Sankara. It's exactly in 1990. Mm. 1990, mm -hmm. they created finally this institute. The, the government or? The government, okay. the government of Burkina Faso. But it was with a Pan-Africanist vision, mm -hmm. but they have launched it. And finally they retrieved themselves alone to, <laughs> to, and I recall that this is at that place in 1991 or 92, mm -hmm. the Macro has invited all the intellectuals mm -hmm. Burkina Faso, I was there, mm -hmm. and fortunately, I was the the, the trainer who is tra uh, who, who was invited to train the the staff of this institute in computer in using the for using okay. the computer. It is the word processing. It was, at that time it was word perfect. We are talking about word perfect. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so after <laughs> <laughs> yes, like in the yes, yes, so. So we have launched the creation of this association called Kepra. Okay. The becoming mm -hmm. Kepra. Mm -hmm. I have retrieved exactly the preamble of the F Center is exactly the vision of the Kepra. Yes. It was a vision. We wanted to have a community of intellectual, artists, leadership, uh, African leaders, uh, black people who can write the story of Africa by Africans. That was the goals after creating ourselves. So, when uh, the macro has started, it was the first level of the aeroglyph. We are talking about the per ink, per ink, per ink. After when I discovered that we arrived at the medumiyet, what happened? So, uh, I follow. Um, I'm following up you since this time. Yes. Because after that time, how long were you guys together before you returned to France and he returned to his country? Exactly. Uh, since 19, the year 1998, when I came back from uh, Europe, uh -huh. I stayed here. Oh, okay. I just traveled some time okay. and go back. And I recall when he go to America, America mm -hmm. I was in Burkina Faso at that time. Okay. And when he came back from the America, at that time I came back to Togo too. So finally, <laughs> I see, I see. I see. <laughs> yes, this so, is how. 
Yeah, so uh, if I remember the stories correctly, mm. he originally came around 1995 to America, but then went back. Exactly. And then came, came back, back and then finally made it to Chicago around 1998 to start exactly. the, the center cool. there, the exactly. activities there. Yes. Um, and I really want to because today we're celebrating we're celebrating the new year a few days ago we celebrated with the ceremonies for the new year here in the head eye shot healing center yeah. of the earth center and i want to get into how you see the progress and what you think after now reconnecting with the movement in the flesh you've been yes. you know connected with us on social media and i know you've been meeting you know at the wagadougou temple every every year or so exactly. but now that you've come here and seen this I want to really get into what you think about, you know, how the movement has progressed really? since Makaru has yeah. passed away, how it's continued. On. It's very fantastic. Mm -hmm. uh, I have congratulated you. This, you. You need my congratulation every day for the eternity <laughs> because it's very, very fantastic. You are doing a very, very good job because uh, for me, you understand, you have seized the vision, the real vision. The, the market wanted and you have fulfilled it till now. This is what he is thinking about exactly. Have a kind of arboretum where they can find every species of medicinal around him where he can make grow himself, his chicken to eat. That was yeah, the vision at the beginning and the starting. So when he passed away early, Realizing this, and after I was it, I said, ah, it's more beautiful than what we are thinking. <laughs> when you observe actually the situation, the world, you will see that the wheel is is turning. The African is at the Renaissance cycle, and to consolidate, to fortify such of movement, we need to have a faith in something which coming from our homelands and. The F Center is the, the start point, actually. And I'm seeing in my vision that in, until year 2050, I will pass away certainly, but this, this place, <laughs> this place, they will be replicated. Yes, it will be replicated everywhere, somewhere. This is what will happen. You are doing a very, very fantastic job. And the schools, I want the, the, the branches of KTB, Medumait, uh, and Sunt, it's very well organized, very well organized. And I'm interested now, I'm ready now to, to, to start the initiation, to, to have my own name, my to know my name now. Tonton, that means so much to us mm -hmm. you know, in the leadership, because you can imagine it was a struggle after the Makaru passed, none yeah. of us were expecting sure. that. Yeah. All of us even looking at each other sure. as youth, as children, as babies. Sure. How are we going to keep this going? Because exactly. it can't die. Yes. Yes. It was too, too important I, I for imagine, the world. I imagine, I yeah. imagine. And so to hear you say that, because as babies, as youth, we our eyes weren't there when he was initiated. Yes. When he was, you know, starting Starting. activities. In he was alone. Yes. He was very alone. He has a problem. People like uh, uh, Alpha Blondie. 
Yes. Yeah, he approached him, but he did not understand uh -huh. himself. Uh -huh. is talking about Jerusalem. Uh -huh. <laughs> yes. No, we are talking about Africa. Yes. This right. was a, this, that was a difference because in what he's doing. But now, I have noticed that uh, in uh, Guadeloupe or Martinique, uh -huh. the late uh, Omotunde, do you hear about Omotunde? Uh -huh. They have a cultural center in Guadeloupe, I think. Okay. What they call the Anja. Their goal is to study uh, deeply the Egyptology. So yes. Yes, and I think there's, you know, of course, ones in Senegal after the work of the great Shekhan Tijok. Yes. But I can't imagine the loneliness for Makaru in being so revolutionary, so ahead of his time, yes. carrying this mission alone. Yes, right. Even traveling the world. Yeah, it's true. Seeking support. It's true. People don't have the vision to see how far ahead it is. So, you know, we're really glad that, you know, you bringing your support back as one of those original members that were there. You know, Thank you. Thank you. Yes. But I want also to bring the conversation back to this place. Yes. Where, this place that raised both of you. Because right now in the Head Aisha Healing Center, we're sitting in the city of, or we're sitting in the region of Chaojo, just mm. outside the city of Sokode. And you were mentioning that you guys shared the same grandmother, but even to just mention that grandma and just mention her name, it doesn't really speak to her status in the city here. Mm -hmm. Who really was she in the city? What, what was the environment you guys were growing up mm -hmm. in? Oh, you know, my grandmother was, our grandmother, Adama <laughs> Mola, was, uh, uh, came from the royalty, the, the royalty of uh, Sokode. Koma. They are from the clan they call Mola. The Mola has the the, the noble the, the 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 notability of Sokade. They are the, the owner of the 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 F of Sokode are the Mola first. The oldest Traore they came from Ture, they came from they were strangers came from another one. And uh, I recall when I was a young boy, my, my our grandmother was the chief of the women. Mm -hmm. She was like a queen mother in Koma. There, they have her place where she uh, she, she judge women affairs. So yes, that's why. And also as a priest, because every day, every Friday, I saw my mother's my grandmother making ceremonies of friends for her twins. Okay. Her twins first and everybody. When he was uh, very young, we used to go to the villages around to, for periodic ceremonial when I came in vacancy, in holidays. And what is fantastic also with my two cousins, La Musa and Abba, <laughs> they are all those who vaccinated me <laughs> more because they are living mostly in the village and me i came from the towns time to time uh, time to time to the village when i came they called me in the room say ah, oliver you see uh -huh. this powder uh, yes, okay is again the the snake when the snake uh -huh. you have never this one <laughs> so and the, the yes <laughs> i call it vaccination and I really bring that up because now, um, even for the Healing Center here, um, that is a partnership between the Earth Center and the sister organization of the Earth Center, Ancasta Natural Healing, also founded by the great uh, Makaru. 
also a lot of the staff is coming from descendants of that great priestess Nana Demamola and her story was also very inspirational to me because as Americans growing up trying to reclaim our culture you know we grew up with some access to some of those things like the speeches of Thomas Sankara like the work of Shekante Joke and make it into the world of academia but other than that, it's mostly the slave trade. And sure. that's the big, you know, moment yeah. for all of us sure. in our identity and all of that. Sure. But he told us that, and correct me if I got the story wrong, mm -hmm. but that uh, his grandma, Nana Demomola, even had a brand from when she was captured mm -hmm. for enslavement, but she happened to, you know, be able to with her intelligence and her spiritual awareness and power escape and make it back home. Yes, this is uh, the story about the, the, the royalty of Koma in general. They are part of uh, uh, this category of persons or clan who have participated during the story, uh, during, during at this have heard about this slavery. I just make the point because for us in the West, that was really inspiring because it showed how close we were. It showed that, you know, that close, maybe you, Master Nava, could have been born. Yeah, why not? We all the same people. Sure, sure. So this is clearly, you know, the heritage that we were removed from. So the earth to come in is really like, you know, big movement of salvation yes. because it's now reconnecting us directly with those cultures that are in the inlands exactly. where a lot of us were captured exactly. from, a lot of our ancestors exactly. were captured. Yeah, one, one of the interesting thing about that, just for those in the West, either in the Caribbean or the United States, is that Naba was ex Master Naba, you call him Naba. Yeah, master, I, yes. I've never referred yes. to him like that, <laughs> but the Makaru was explaining to it's us Makaru, that yeah. even in Togo, because it's on the slave coast, you find so many languages here because so many people were captured from many different sure, places. Sure, it's, it's true. So it's really it's a big part of history for people of uh, color in the West, mm -hmm. but it's not given the proper promotion because they didn't, they don't play as big a role in the tourism mm. like Ghana plays as in the tourism. Yes. So everybody yes. thinks there, but really this was a major <laughs> route for uh, mm. the people leaving uh, African Africa shores, but you know, uh, people rarely know about that, so interesting. So as uh, one of those original members during the years of Kepra, can you say any more about what the vision was what some conversation were maybe what some stories that you remember from back then that really talked about what you guys were envisioning i know you said even what has become even seems to kind of uh, outshine what you were envisioning but is there anything else you can say about that mm. if not no problem yes <laughs> <laughs> because you already said this outshine yes no it's uh, how, how no, really you know it's a uh, this vision is really a personal vision of the Makero. And as you know, when you, you have started an organization, and when it is not a, a profit for profit organization, finally you find yourself alone yes. To, yes. <laughs> to, to go alone because yes. no one, uh, they, 
your partners don't have their interests. So the, this is the, the the story of the the, the Kepra. Uh, the Kepra was a good idea for everybody, but at the moment, some, yes, this is the, the problem. The the one composed who was the founders, who, was, who, were, who were invited for the launching. We are not really in the same level of comprehension of the, the world, yeah, they deserve the same vision. There are those who are just there to repeat what they are learning from the, the, the world, from Western, as intellectual, and those who want to adapt or readapt or retrieve something locally. So it makes us, Every, every everybody has taken his parts. Yes. And at that time, uh, the convention that was kind of connected to the Institute of uh, People in Oahu. Yeah, the black people. Around how many people were there for that? Ooh, I recall we are among about 50, 50 mm -hmm. persons. Yes, great personalities of Burkina Faso. Mm -hmm. There was Joseph Kizerbo, there was. Uh, uh, Il Boudou, Jean-Pierre Il Boudou, Jean-Pierre Compaoré, I recall the names, yeah. Laurent Badeau, the famous philosopher, yes, from the world. they were all invited. That's why we approached the uh, Institute of the Black People also, because they, at that time they have the, the, the database, they had the database of uh, African intellectual in every country, and you have launched invitation to all these people. At that time, there was not Zoom. If not, yes, if the year it will be a big. Uh, it was a big event because we tried to 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 reach out to to everybody. It was helped. And are you? And presently, at the first the first meeting for the launching, it was about thirty or fifty. Okay intellectual, mostly from Burkina Faso. At that time I was living there too, I was working there Which as well. In Burkina Faso it was really charged because yes. of Sankara's movement. Exactly, at that time. And are, do you have contact with any of them? Uh, no, just uh, a, 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 another parent of me, by my, by my, uh, my grandfather's side, who lives, who works here as an international organization a member of UNICEF in Burkina Faso and after he retired he stayed in the country he was a counselor for the at the time of uh, Sankara he was a choir counselor and I was very close to him too because uh, because of the, the using of computer they were the first who has computer at that time and they solicited me to be the trainer so I was very close and I saw many many persons came to him. He is very he, he was not from he's not native from Burkina Faso. He's from Benin. Okay. But as a international he was a international director for UNICEF for Sahel but yeah region for more than thirty years. And after he retired he stayed here and he one of the intellectuals he, he has worked he wrote a, a book called uh, Negritude and Negrologue. Oh, yes. He's in, in the movement with the Senghor, uh -huh. MSS, yes. His name is Adotevi, Professor Adotevi. Okay. It's from him I met 
Bless Compare, in the house, I met some personality. So. Okay, and lastly, Tonto, yes. I know you mentioned it previously, but just to be clear for all of our viewers uh, who may not know, because you were saying you can see the wheels turning yes. in the world today. Exactly. And today we see a lot happening in Burkina Faso with President Traore and also Niger, in Mali, Niger, Mali Guinea. Uh, Guinea. Yeah. Yeah. You have anything to say further on that as far as the revolutionary spirit really coming to re reawaken? and represent African values and identity to the world. Exactly, yes. This is what I want to say. I have here, there's president, there's military who came back with coup, uh, coup d'etat, mm -hmm. but with coup d'etat without any, any death, mm -hmm. any dead person. Mm -hmm. And we try to, to, to reinvent the, the cooperation between uh, the Western East part. Each time they start, they have started their species, say, I, we want to thank God first. <laughs> we want to thank God first for having uh, been uh, capable to this could the force revolve any death. Okay, it's good. But we'll, what I want to hear in few here is, uh, we want to thank our ancestors first. It will come because we need it. This is the moment for the Earth Center to, in their, our, our, our prayers, to, to ask for more action from our ancestors. Uh, I think there are many, many people, many dead who need to be set up as a, at the level of real ancestors, again, to have more soldiers mm -hmm. at that part yes. to fight with, uh, fight with us. Yes, never do it yes. because that's really, maybe some of our viewers have heard some initiates from Kepta talk about how Makaru was a real revolutionary, yes. how Makaru's revolution is really the starting point for real revolution exactly. because a lot of times we can see the political revolutions happen but when they start like Tonton just said and you see the revolution doesn't go that deep no, no. they didn't yet do the work exactly. that needs to actually exactly. the real revolution exactly. and that's really what the Macri brought through Kepta through Ancasta so I really want to thank you for being here Thank you. Today with us celebrating, you know, kicking off 423 Thank with you. one of the pioneers of this mission and we're happy to have you back in this mission. Tom Thank Tom. you. Uh, we're so happy Thank to you. I'm you. very honored to be back. May the ancestors continue to Thank you. us Thank you. Amen. Applause to you again. <laughs> So we are really grateful, we were really fortunate to be able to speak with Tonton. Uh, we're really grateful to the spirit and are just wishing for the uh, transition of his spirit 
to his ancestral vestibule. Um, it was really meaningful to those of us, especially those of us who have been working in the mission of KEPTA in the West for a long time, to see one of the original members returning into the fold. Uh, it wasn't that he just returned because he's been visiting the Ouagadougou Temple um, pretty routinely every year, every couple years. But this year, he was able to visit our Houston Temple in the United States. And he came and visited Head Eye Shop, where you saw the, the interview was done from our healing center in Central Togo. Um, but it was really meaningful because he was so proud, as you see in the, the in the interview. He was so proud of the work that had continued and really astonished because it was realizing that vision that the Makaru had and nobody really understood how big the vision was, how, how profound the vision could be. Um, so it was very meaningful. We were all very grateful to see him back, um, especially at a time when, you know, the world is really changing. Uh, Africans, African descendants across the globe are really standing up and realizing that it's, they have to take responsibility for how Africa is moving into the future. Uh, we've seen that with the recent coup d'etats, the coup d'etats that the West wants to complain about, but coup d'etats that aren't taking life. Mm. When do you even see that? Like governmental shifts that don't take life. I think January 6th, the uh, happenings at the White House took life. Yeah, more people died there than... Uh, and that wasn't even what you can, you know... That wasn't even a coup. A coup. So, it's, I mean, even in Chicago, the streets of Chicago, we take more life uh, every average weekend. weekend. Yeah, every weekend. So, um, it's really something to watch uh, this kind of awakening in the spirit of Africa. Um, I also recently heard that uh, there's a, um, a journalist, I think he might be... You said Alain or something? Alain Foucault. Foucault. Uh, he's a French speaker. I think he might be from Cameroon, but I might be wrong about that. But he started an organization called Mansa Media Group, where he's trying to do the same. Really um, bring together African intellectuals, African professionals to tell Africa's story themselves instead of continuing to allow their colonizers of the past to be the one to present them to the world. Um, That's big. That is big and it's, uh, you know, shout out to Alain Foka. Uh, he has a YouTube channel so you can go and check it out. They're just getting started. It is in French but they have English subtitles um, so you can check it out and just get behind this push wherever you see it. What's that, Mansa, how do you spell it? Mansa Media Group. Uh, Mansa is spelled M-A-N-S-S-A-H. Oh, okay. But Mansa Media Group. Nice, nice. But yeah, it's such a powerful uh, note that uh, Tonton Olivier ended on in the in the interview, you know, mm -hmm. because he's talking about, I mean, it sounds just small. Like he's saying, you know, everyone says, thank God you know, to God be the glory, 
you know, we couldn't have done this without God, first of all. You know, you hear this all the time, and it's like, we need to change that back to um, thank the ancestors. Yes. I mean, it sounds like a small difference, and you hear now people talking about that now more in uh, the United States, a lot more people are talking about the ancestors and things of that nature, which is great to see. Um, you know, but I don't think people really understand how profound it is because when we talk about thanking the ancestors there's really a way to do that it's not just like you say uh thanks ancestors you know but the way to thank the ancestors to get is to give them what they need and to help elevate them the same way uh tonton olivier in the head i shot he he did works to elevate his own ancestors and now that he's transitioned you know we doing what we can to elevate him so, I mean, yes, there's what a person might hear um, outside of traditional culture when we say uh, thanking ancestors, but then like Casabez is saying is that there's a whole technical system of how that's done. Thanking ancestors doesn't just mean shouting out Malcolm X's name or some other Marcus Garvey person in the, in the struggle that, Poor that libation. you see contributed. Harry Tubman. But... Uh, thanking ancestors is really a system but what Tonton is saying is when we get back to seeing our leaders uh, military leaders governmental leaders even leaders of you know movements returning to that system that's really when a real revolution is happening uh -huh. and that's really what we were saying that Master Naba started with Kepta and that's really you know an important aspect of us returning to our identity. Returning to our identity doesn't just mean putting on a shirt where it looks like it, saying some words where it looks like we're back in our identity, we're back doing our own stuff, but it comes with an understanding of how we fit in that system and the work to maintain ourselves in that system. Mm -hmm. And that's really, you know, in retrospect, whenever we see a human being lose his life, in retrospect, you always can see kind of what the moves that the spirit was making on the way out. And Tonton Olivier had came to the healing center and was doing just that, doing works for his ancestors. And we didn't understand at that time, but it was even like in preparation because he was going to join them. So this was really a special interview to, for us. This was really a special episode, um, but let it really inspire you let it really um, awaken something inside of you to really look into returning to that system that system of ancestral veneration that system of living your life for your ancestors for your descendants instead of allowing you know uh, today's media today's ideologies to hijack your life and take it away from where you got it from it came from your ancestors mm -hmm. It didn't come from Facebook. It didn't come from Instagram. It came from your ancestors. So you have to consider day to day, what am I doing to make sure I pay it back? What am I doing to make sure I uphold it and I dignify those that I got it from? You know, we were talking about Israel and Palestine in the bigger context of the uh, Judeo-Christian religions and all the you know conflicts that happen between them. Uh, you know, in this case, we're talking about Judy, uh, what is it, Judaism and uh, Islam. But, you know, you even have Christian versus Muslim uh, crusades. 
throughout history, you've had, you know, conflicts between different factions of the actual church itself, uh, of the Christian church, you have the Catholics versus the Protestants and all that, and so many people killed. And what gets lost in the middle of that is that when you have two big, uh, that proverb, the African proverb, when two elephants are fighting, it's the grass that, grass suffers. that suffers. It's like everyone feels like, okay, I need to get on one of these two elephants because I don't want to be the grass. And what ends up being trampled out every time is like the original indigenous systems, the indigenous ways of life, indigenous languages, indigenous spiritual practices. And um, now that we've lost those, we, we really, without any context to understand, we don't have any idea how much it's affecting us right now in our lives in every aspect. Um, when we talk about revolution, we so often think about um, taking power you know, one group taking power over another. Uh, we're the ones who are oppressed. We're taking power back from the oppressors. And we've seen that happen over and over and over again throughout history. Every time it ends up like pretty much the ones who take power are just perpetrating the same system that they were just trying to run from. You know, we want to be the ones with the foot on the other people's neck. And not, we don't want the foot on our neck anymore. And and it doesn't really improve the condition of humanity. We see things continuing to degenerate. So uh, uh, the revolution that Master Naba started, the revolution of Kepta, uh, is a revolution of, uh, it's a revolution of ideas. It's not a fight of flesh and blood that we're fighting. It's a revolution of ideas where we are uh, taking back control first over our own lives and our own kind of um, way of seeing ourselves really identifying those aspects of ourselves that make up who we are that in the modern context we don't get to understand and then learning how to feed that learning how to empower that because we don't know how much uh not being connected with our ancestors hurts us we don't know how much um them kind of being lost wandering trying to find their way in the darkness without anyone to uh, help them is hurting us and uh, you know it's it's a hard thing to even say to people who you know who just believe you die and then suddenly you're at the gates. You know what I mean? Uh, that there's a journey just to get to whichever gate you're trying to get to to even find out you know what's going to be the next step. You know, and and it's a technical process that's been uh, researched and discovered and understood since a very, very long time. And now that we don't know about it, uh, there's a whole aspect of our lives that we're missing because we don't just live and then suddenly it's over. We live and then when we die, there's a whole other journey for the spirit to take on. And uh, if we don't know what that next stage in our existence is, uh, how much value can we attach to what we accomplish in this life when we die and all the money we gain, we lose it. All the friends we had, we leave them behind. All the family members, we leave them behind. All the fame we have, what, what, is it, what does it do for us at that point? We grew up thinking that if you don't, what you don't know won't hurt you. But understand that what you don't know, you suffer from. And you will suffer from your entire life, and you'll even pass that suffering to your children. There's a whole understanding of our spiritual health, our spiritual alignment, our, our spiritual protection that is no longer in our thoughts, no longer in our conversations, no longer uh, a responsibility of our families. But that is what life was about for our ancestors. 
Mm-hmm. So that's really this episode really being our part one of celebrating 25 years of Kepta's mission in the West. That's really what Kepta was bringing. This episode being part one of celebrating 25 years of Kepta's mission in the West. That's really what Kepta is bringing and giving an opportunity for every spirit that wants it, that wants to be proactive and take that opportunity for themselves, for their families, for their descendants to find their way back into that spiritual system. In the city that the interview with Tonton was just outside of Sokode. In Sokode, uh, at the time when tradition ruled there, you didn't hear about people dying early. It just didn't happen because everybody in the society had their place to fit at making sure the, the, the city was spiritually protected. So even when accidents were coming to people, you spiritually moved them out of the way. Even to have a family member uh, one of your ancestors, one of your parents, your grandparents die with bloodshed, that will go on and have repercussions on all of the descendants until you spiritually fix that situation. Because that's a terrible thing to happen, to be shot in the city and then lose your blood and have your blood pour on the, on the earth in order to die. So all of those things, like think about how often that happens in Chicago. Now think about how many uh, spiritual handicaps we given ourselves and we don't even know how to fix, we don't know how to heal. So this is really what Kepta's mission was coming to reconnect us to the culture that had that knowledge, that allowed every family to take responsibility for itself to do that. Um, but that reclamation, that reconnection is a journey. It's, it's, it's been 400, 500 years since we were connected. We can't expect to go and then Kepta give us all of that knowledge back in a weekend and now we think we can do it and we can do it for everybody else. That's that's more, you know, ridiculous. Uh, no, it, I mean, to even for us trying to do this in one lifetime, do in one lifetime, we don't know that that's going to be enough to fill all the holes left from, you know, what our ancestors were disconnected from. Exactly. So it's a journey. But this opportunity is there. Those of you, the viewers, really looking to improve not only your city, but the situation of your family, your, yourself first. Reach out to Kepta, look into it. We have a, a recent publication that we brought out called the Book of Purifications that even gives you the first steps at starting to elevate your ancestors again, build a connection with them. Um, so we really, want to dedicate this episode to that idea, that uh, opportunity before all of you, and to the spirit of Tonton who realized the profundity of that mission and was bringing his energies back to, uh, you know, lend and push behind bringing this message, this mission across the globe. And yeah, please, before we close, I just want to, I just want to reiterate. Uh, the modern system very has very deliberately introduced ideologies, religions, uh, scientific ideologies, political ideologies to disconnect us from our original ways of think, uh, thinking, our original ways of being. Uh, before this, our lives were dedicated towards what we can do to kind of uh, secure our well-being into the future 
by acknowledging those who came before us and uh, basically preparing ourselves for the next stage of our existence, which is life after death. Uh, and that's a very technical process that takes a lot of effort, it takes time, it takes commitment to, and those who wanted to see themselves in control of humanity wanted, they needed to find a way to get us only focus on what they want us to be doing, which is working for them. Um, at the time the slave trade started, you couldn't pay somebody to get up and go work in the United States. They had to be captured and put in chains and like put at the bottom of uh, ships and shipped over and then kept in chains for the rest of their life. You know, now you have people jumping on rafts, crowding onto rafts, 50 and 60 people on a raft to try to sail across the Mediterranean and they're dying in the sea, they're dying in the ocean, the same way our ancestors did. And nobody has to, uh, matter of fact, they're even paying people to do that so that they can have the privilege to go work for some white slave master. The same thing our ancestors used to run from and try to escape from as uh, Tonton Olivier was telling the story of, uh, of his grandmother. Now, uh, what has changed in the ideology? The media is the, uh, the media, the, you know, the modern education and all of this have planted this idea that your life is nothing if you don't have a smartphone, if you don't have, you know, whatever, whatever material stuff that doesn't last. And our whole lives have been about that. And we in the West know that as far as, uh, you know, material wealth, they say we're the richest country in the world. And with all that so-called opportunity and blah, 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 milk and honey and whatever you want to call it, we're still dying from like drug overdoses because we're so disconnected from reality. We're so disconnected from ourselves that we just don't even want to live. And so how long are we going to keep, you know, feeding this same kind of way of being without going back to, you know, maybe what worked for people before? Because even in the villages where, where you know, you can go outside Bur what, uh, the city here in Burkina Faso and go to a village and see people who might be, you know, they might not be eating uh, five-star meals. They might not have running water. They might not even have electricity, but they probably happier than the average uh, whatever uh, living in Trump Tower or um, you know Lake Point Tower or any of these places happier and connected connected to nature connected to their ancestry mm -hmm. uh, just as Casa Best put it it's about going back uh, and and utilizing the wisdom the resources the systems that came before us to secure our future to secure uh, our identity moving into the future. If that's our descendants, that's our descendants, but it's also our own spirit, even as it moves, even after death. That's really what Kepra meant. This episode being the, found, the, the first episode dedicated to the Kepra Foundation, the name Kepra that Makaru chose for that foundation would translate to the becoming but it could also be translated to the future because it's about that bigger picture of where are we going? What are we doing today in order to you know, secure where we're going? Uh, and that's really um, something that we have to 
think about and give back to our ancestors. The perspective of time and space that our ancestors had and beyond time and space that our ancestors had and where we fit into that and how we take care of ourselves in that understanding. So we want to thank you for uh, joining us for this episode. Uh, we will be coming back to this series after a few episodes, um, uh, after a few more episodes. And as always, um, you know, we just bring in light to the obscurity in the city, the obscurity in the minds of Chicago landers and people across the globe so that we all can uh, find, you know, a brighter future. Kepra. It's great to have you back, bro. Uh, and before we close the episode, I just want to remind everybody, if you have a question, you have a topic we want to cover, visit our website, chicagosunnyside.net. And um, look in the, uh, you can see the link in the description below. Uh, like this channel, like this video, subscribe to the channel, and uh, hit the bell notification thingy so that you can uh, get emails anytime we have new content coming out. Um, we look forward to um, talking with you again soon. Uh, we just getting started with this podcast and we uh, we looking forward to grow. Make sure to share this with your friends and family, anyone you think will find it interesting or informative. Life can be so sweet on the sunny side of the street.